If you got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 4. My translation is going to read a little bit different than the one on the screen, but uh, principles all going to be the same this morning. It says, now Jesus. All right, now let me stop there, okay? Uh, here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I want you to know and understand. I feel a lot better when you speak back to me, okay? I got these little ears, and you can see them, okay? I got these little ears, and with little ears means insecurity, okay? So you can say, preach it. You can, you can say, come on. You can say, amen. You can say, hallelujah. You can say, preach it, white boy, okay? Whatever you want to do, all right? We're going to have fun in church this morning. In fact, why don't you do this for me? Look at someone next to you and say, you are amazing. Come on, let's just encourage somebody. Yes, there we go. All right, now here, we're going to practice it. We're going to practice it. Let's get back to the scripture. It says, now Jesus. Everybody say, now Jesus. Jesus. Come on. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. That's very important for us. And this is the most important verse that we're going to read this morning. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, a.k.a. being very strategic with his time, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Verse 8, His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me? for a drink, for Jews did not associate themselves with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it was to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me, uh, let me do us a favor real quick. Let me pray. Uh, and then we're going to dive into this message. If you're taking notes, uh, that says you had to go there. All right. If you're, if you're taking notes, write that up at the top. All right. But let me pray and we'll dive into it. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you so much for this time. Lord, I pray, uh, God, that your Holy Spirit would come and speak a message that I cannot speak, that you would that you would preach a message that I cannot preach, Jesus, that you would come into hearts, God, that you would move in only a way that no man can, only a holy Savior from heaven can. Jesus, we love you so much. We praise you. And everybody said? Now, let me, let me ask you a, a very, very important question, okay? Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you in here love and enjoy a late-night snack? Anybody in here? Okay, I got a few people in the back. You got to be honest in church, okay? and at work, and at home, and at all points in time, okay? I, th- th- let me tell you, I really, really enjoy a late-night snack. I don't know what it is. I know that it's not the healthiest thing in the world to do to eat late at night. I know that's how you add more LBs, and that's how you, that's how you, you, you grow a waistline. I know that. I know that. I know that. But there is something inside of me that right before I really need to go to sleep, I really need to get up and make me a late-night snack. Okay, now let me ask you this. I'm going to find out who the real Christians are in this room, okay? How many of you in here love a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Anybody in here? Is there anybody? Okay, yes. The Chosen Frozen over here. I see you, okay? Now, let me, let me tell you this. I, um, I, I, I love a peanut butter and honey sandwich. And just about, just about every night, it comes calling my name, okay? And I just got to get up and make a peanut butter and honey sandwich. And I remember when my wife and I, when we first got married, uh, we, we were, it was about a year after we got married, we moved to this home in Coleman, okay? Now, in Coleman, everything is old, okay? Everything, including all the homes, okay? Out here in Morris, you got all these big, beautiful, brand-new homes. 
We don't have that in Coleman. Y'all pray for us, okay? But we, had, we bought this really, really old home. And how many of you know in a really, really old home with the old hardwood, like you can't sneak around anywhere, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know what it is whenever you're trying to get up in the middle of the night and sneak around. Like it sounds like every bone in your leg is breaking all at the same time. You know what I'm saying? It's like, bam, you just roll an ankle just from standing there, okay? And so I'm getting up in the middle of the night. I'm trying to be really quiet because my wife... Yeah, like, you know, you know what I mean? Beauty sleep for a reason, okay? My men know what I'm talking about. You try not to wake the wife, right? And so I'm trying to sneak around, and I sneak into, into the kitchen. I make myself a midnight snack, and then I'm trying to, like, sneak back to the bedroom. And so in an old home, what you got to try and do is you, you got to try and move fast. I'd figured that out. you got to try and move fast to get from the kitchen back to the bedroom, all right? And so how many of you in here are, how many of you in here, you got to be honest, okay? How many of you are scared of the dark? Anybody? Anybody? Some, I'm, not, I'm not scared of the dark. I'm a, I'm a real man. I'm a, I'm a real woman, okay? Let me test you really quick. This is, this is a side note. How many of you, before you walk into a room, like if you're going to go into a dark room, you do this? And flip the light on, and then you go inside. That's how you know that you're scared. I got a hand raised. Okay, testify. Thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, I, look, I'm, I'm not really scared of the dark. I'm scared of what's in the dark, okay? And I had learned our home kind of enough to know that, all right, I, this, is, this is where I turn in this hallway, and I can go into this room this way, and I don't need a light to tell me that. And I, I, I knew how to get around my house in the dark, but here's what I'm scared of. I'm scared of what's in the dark. You know what I'm saying? A.K.A. a pair of pink Nikes, about a size eight and a half. I don't wear pink Nikes, by the way. Those were my wife's. And they were sitting in the middle of the hallway. And so I'm trying to run and, and, and sneak back. So I'm not making a whole lot of sound with, with the old hardwood. And I'm trying to run and sneak back. And I trip, okay? Now, this wasn't your ordinary trip. You know, like sometimes you'll just be walking, you'll, you'll trip, and you'll pretend like you're running, and you're just like, okay. No, this, this was, I was horizontal to the ground, okay? I looked like Pete Rose sliding into third base. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, like, I trip, I'm flying through the air. It's like a slow-motion movie, like, and my face hits our bedroom door, okay? That's old mahogany, some sort of wood, like old wooden door, and it, and, and it hits. And this isn't, this isn't the worst part. My face is breaking at this point in time. I, I, I feel like there's, I think there was like a little stream of blood. It wasn't even really that bad. But in the story, I'm going to tell you, I was bleeding everywhere, okay? We had just gotten a cat, okay? We had named her, <laughs> we named her Legion, no joke, because I thought she was demon-possessed, okay? For those of you who read your Bible, you know what I'm talking about, okay? And her version of playing was to come running up to me and start clawing my eyes out, okay? And so I'm laying there. I got a broke face, okay? The moneymaker, broke face. I got a cat who's, who's trying to scratch my eyes out. And then the worst part, wife wakes up, okay? Thought the, thought the cat was demon-possessed. Wife wakes up. Travis. I'm just playing. That's not what she did. That's not what she did. She's not here. I can, I can say that. But uh, I, I trip. I hit the door. And here's the thing. Here's, I, tell, I tell you that, that goofy story to tell you this is that we have a generation of people. We have people in our workplaces, people even in our homes, in our schools, some even in our churches that are tripping through a very dark world right now. And scripture calls you to be the light of the world. And a city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. This church isn't just meant to just do church. This church is meant to be a light into the world. We have people, we have, I work with young people all the time. That's where I spend all of my 
life is working with young people. There's so many young people right now that are tripping over things in the dark that they cannot see because we don't have Christians willing to shine a light at what is in the actual dark. You are called to go somewhere. And here's, here's what I find so profound about our scripture is that in, in, in my translation, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. All right. I think on the translation on the screen, it says that he needed to go. All right. So it's, it's showing us inside the scripture that Jesus has this 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 opportunity that he seizes where he has this push, this motivation where it says that he had to go through Samaria. OK, now I, I'm about the same age that Jesus was when he began this journey. This was very early on in the in the journey with uh, in, the, in the ministry of Jesus. He was about 30 when he started. I'm 28 years old. And I want to tell you this, as a grown man, there's very few things in this world that I feel like I just have to do, okay? Like, I, for instance, if I want some ice cream in the middle of the night, you know what I do? I get up out of my bed, right? I get my wallet with my money that I earned, that I worked hard for, right? I get the keys to my car that I paid for. I get in my car, and you know what I do? I call my wife or I yell at my wife and I say, hey, we're going to go get ice cream because if I didn't take her with me, it wouldn't be good, especially right now that we got two buns in the oven. You know what I'm saying, right? So here's, here's the thing about it. Here's the thing about it. There are things in life that we feel like we absolutely have to do, right? So when we read that scripture, when we hear that Jesus had to go through Samaria, the thing with me that, that really confuses me is that Jesus is the son of God, Right? The, the salvation and redemption of all humanity, right? The one who is going to go to the cross, that is going to bear our sins, right? The, the one who's, who's going to save our souls, but he feels like he has to do something, right? He says he had to go through Samaria. Now, let me give you a little bit of context because I'm not going to read the rest of the scripture. I would encourage you, please go read the rest of John chapter 4. It is incredible. I love the Bible. I love the word of God. It is active. It is alive, sharpening any double-edged sword, piercing through soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it tests the attitudes and minds of the heart. So I would encourage you, go read the rest of the story. But let me give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Here's what happens. Jesus sits down at this well with this Samaritan woman. Now, remember in verse 8, I believe it says that Jews and Samaritans did not mix. So cultural issues were happening long before 2017. Jesus was dealing with this over 2000 years ago. It says that the Jews and the Samaritans did not mix. And so Jesus says that he had to go through Samaria. Now I want to give you a little bit of context of what's happening right here. If Jesus and the Jews and the disciples were to go around Samaria, it would take them about seven days to get to Judea or from Galilee to Judea or vice versa. But if you go through Samaria, it only takes about about three days. So you would think maybe he's just shortening the journey, but no, he meets somebody. It's very strategic. It's very specific. It says that Jesus was tired from his journey. So he sat down by a well, Jacob's well, very strategic. You can go back to Genesis chapter 12, read about that promise from God. Sits down at this well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman walks up. We never even catch her name. She walks up, Jesus goes on a little bit of this religious dialogue later with her, and we find out that she's had five husbands, and the man that she's living with right now isn't even her husband, so she's got a few spiritual statistics against her. Now, there's even more. We can even look deeper inside that scripture. The Samaritan woman shows up at about noon. Now, women back then wouldn't have wanted to look like they worked. They didn't, they didn't want to get sweaty or nasty, okay? Some things haven't changed, right? So she shows up to this well at about noon at the hottest part of the day. 
and she shows up alone. Things also haven't changed in 2017 years. This woman shows up alone. Women go everywhere together, okay? Right? If you guys, if I, I've never understood it. If a girl's like, I got to go to the bathroom. All the women get up and all of you go to the bathroom. They did the same thing at the well back in this day. Usually they would go early in the morning and they, like, like all women do, they would travel in packs with each other. So we noticed something very specific about this Samaritan woman. This Samaritan woman is alone. And this, this Samaritan woman has a past, all right? And Jesus decides that he has to go through Samaria. They needed to, that there was something inside of him, a call from God to go into Samaria and meet this Samaritan woman. Now, I will let you read the rest of the scripture, but she turns into an evangelist overnight going back into her town saying, hey, let me, let me show you this man who told me anything that I'd ever done, okay? So she goes back into this town and she becomes a world changer overnight. Because Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you're writing this down, I want you to write this down. We're going to talk about a, a different type of Samaria today, okay? The Samaria that we read about in the scripture is an actual location. The Samaria that we're going to talk about today is inside our own hearts, inside of our own souls. The Samaria that we're talking about is the place that most people avoid, but God is calling you. I'm going to say that again. Samaria for us today is the place that most people avoid, but God is calling you. That's a, that's a church term that we use all the time, that word, right? Calling. You know, there's a, there's a call of God on your life. There's a, there's, there's a calling or God is calling us to do this. Now, you know, I started thinking about it. And when I, when I started studying for this message, the, that word calling has a different context today than it used to have, just that word. Because if I was calling out to somebody 2,000 years ago, it means a lot different than today, right? Because if I want to call somebody, if I want to call my brother-in-law Lee back there, all I got to do is go in. I ain't even got to dial his number. I got it saved in my phone. And in about 10 seconds, I can even actually tell my phone, hey, call Lee Cheatwood, and it will call him, okay? So it takes me no time for me to call my brother-in-law, right? So it, it, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit of a different mindset than over 2,000 years ago. See, a calling meant that someone was calling out to you, and you had to go on a journey to answer that call. So the calling for our life is a journey. Calling means journey with God. That's literally what it means. And I can settle something for you because some of you in here, you, maybe you've been confused all of your life about, man, what am I called to do? What, am I, what is my calling? What is God's will for my life? I'm going to make it plain to you, okay? Make an eternal difference. That's it. Make heaven a bigger place. We're going to talk a little bit more about how to do that, okay? So Jesus feels this, this call, right? What, when, when we hear a call, it's not, like a, it's not like a cell phone that he can just, he can just get there in two seconds, right? No, it's a, hey, there's, there's someone there. There's a heart calling out to me. There's a soul that's deceptive and needs me, is calling out, and I'm going to go on the journey to get there. For some of you, Jesus is in this place inside of your life. We're going to talk about three different types of Samarias. Jesus is inside of this Samaria, and he's calling out for you to come there and meet with him. So the first point is this. Here's our, here's our first Samaria. If you're taking notes, Write this down. The Samaria of your city. The Samaria of your city. We go back to verse 4. It says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near a plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, I, um, 
I've been doing this thing, and I can't really understand why I've been doing it, but I've been doing this thing called running, okay? And uh, it's, it's where you literally try and make yourself feel unpleasant at all points in time, okay? And so uh, I, I, don't, I don't really understand it. They tell me it's good for me, so I've been trying to do it, okay? I've been trying to, been trying to fight the dad bod, you know? And so I got, I got kids coming soon, and I still want to be the cool, good-looking dad, okay? And so I've, uh, I've been doing this thing. I've, I've been running, okay? And uh, you, know, you know what I notice when I go run through my city? There's people everywhere, okay? Even in Coleman, all right? I go, I go and run through my city, and I see people everywhere. In fact, I know that sounds kind of crazy. It's really kind of dumbfounding me just a little bit. There are literally people everywhere. And you know, you know what's crazy? I see these people, and I see so many people, even in a, in a bright and beautiful city that's got all these great national rankings like Coleman, Alabama. I see so many empty souls, I can, look in, I can look in people's eyes and know something's not right. I can look in people's eyes and see, man, something's empty, right? They're, they're just wandering through this life, wondering what's going to be next. Maybe they're living from paycheck to paycheck, maybe drug to drug or, or drink to drink or whatever, day to day, just sitting, waiting, wasting, waiting for somebody calling out, their souls are calling out for somebody. Hey, will you come into my Samaria? Will you help me? I was that kid. I was a high school student in, in Gardendale, just, just right up the road, sitting inside Samaria, wishing that somebody would come and get into my Samaria. Here's the thing. I want you to know this, that ministry is messy. Some of you, you are called, not some of you, all of you are called to not just stay away from people who are in a mess. You are called to get inside people's mess. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't avoid his Samaria. He didn't avoid this city. What did he do? He went through it. Hey, I want to let you know, inside your workplace, inside your homes, inside your schools, everywhere you go, there are people inside of a Samaria that Jesus is saying, I want you to go through. I was that kid. I was that kid who had, who had lost his father his senior year of high school, and mom it fell into a diabetic coma when, when I was 13 years old. And so I was basically sitting alone and with my sister who was working a couple of jobs to really try and put me through high school. So what did I do? I did what anybody else would do in a, in a septic soul Samaria. I, I turned to drinking. I turned to partying. I turned to all these different things. Some things that I can't tell you about from this platform. I turned to all these different things. And I was just waiting for somebody until finally one day I was sitting at second base in Summerton, Alabama. I was, I was playing junior college baseball in Summerton, Alabama, where I would meet my wife and we would fall in love. Uh, but before then, uh, I came back from Christmas break in Summerton, Alabama, second base. There was this guy there named Justin Carter. Justin Carter uh, was, your, was your typical Christian guy on the, on the baseball team. You got to have one, you know, you got to have one that you can make fun of, okay? And so I avoided him like the plague, to be honest with you, because he, because he was the typical Christian guy. He didn't go and hang out. He didn't party with us like everybody else did. And we were competing for a job at second base, a starting position. And I was sitting there, and uh, I started spilling my guts. Why? Because anybody that's sitting inside their septic soul, inside of their Samaria, is always going to be empty, just like those people that I was telling you about that I would run past, right? I was that person. And I was sitting there just spilling my guts about how I was miserable with life and the decisions that I was making. I just didn't even really know how to get out of that Samaria. And you know what he did? He didn't pray with me. He didn't give me a Bible verse right there. He didn't shove the Bible down my throat. He did something that changed my life, though. He just said something very, very simple. He said, hey, man, 
why don't you start to come and hang out with us? And I was like, I can do that. He didn't judge me for what I've been doing. He didn't judge me for my past. He didn't judge me uh, for, for the things that I had done. All he said was, hey, why don't you just come and hang out with us? And so he invited me to a, to a group of Christian friends, and they were cool. I didn't think that could exist. I thought mathematically that was impossible, that Christians and cool couldn't go together. And they were cool, and I would hang out with them, and we would have a good time, and we would joke, and we would laugh. And then sometimes I would still go to my, to my partying friends, and they wouldn't judge me. They'd just say, hey, just, just come and hang out with us. We're not going to go where you are. How about you just come and hang out with us? Little did they know that they were calling me out of Samaria, little by little, little by little, little by little. And eventually, when I'd go back to my well alone, I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to be with the people who kept calling me out of, out of my Samaria. I got, this, I got this kid in my youth group. He's actually a college student now. His name is Harrison. And uh, Harrison is one of the best students I've ever, ever had. Uh, he's actually really a, a creative genius, so he does a lot of um, artwork and graphics and a lot of things for our church. He does literally everything, and uh, Harrison just really came up through our youth ministry because he had a friend invite him, but you may not know Harrison's backstory. Harrison was, he, he lived with his mom, a single mom, and uh, Harrison was sitting inside a high school, inside of a Samaria, hurting alone at a well. Harrison uh, was at the point where he was ready to end his life completely. And so he had made up his mind the time that he was going to do it. And um, he's, he's at his house, and his mom leaves for work. She's a nurse. And she goes off, and so he goes to the kitchen and gets a knife. And he's like, okay, well, well here it is. This is, this is I'm, I'm going to end my life. There's no reason to live. And so before he's going to begin the process, mom turns back around, which was very untypical, a.k.a. Jesus, Okay, she turns back around, comes back in the door, and he's sitting there with a knife. And Harrison would tell you the story, and she would say, well, "Harrison, what are you doing?" He's he was like, "I'm about to make cereal." And so, like you can you can imagine a kid just sitting there. And so he's like, "Okay, I'm not going to do it." Mom turned back around, and and so uh, he's like, "I'm going to do it another day." Well, he goes to school the next day, and a young man named Austin Harris invites Harrison to church. He's like, "Hey, man, why don't you just come and hang out with us at church?" Didn't, didn't have to give him the 12-point the, the plan, right? He didn't, he, he didn't have to break out the pro presenter. He didn't have to break out anything. He just said, hey, why don't you just come and hang out with me? I think you're cool. I, I think I'm cool. Maybe he said that. I don't know. Why don't you just come and hang out with us? So he goes to church with him. Guess what? Harrison gives his life to Jesus. Now he's calling people out of Samaria literally every day, walking in his calling. He's in Bible college. He's literally changing his world around him. He's making heaven a bigger place. Why? Because one person just decided to be bold enough to say, hey, why don't you just come and hang out with me? I wonder how many of us, day in and day out, we, just, we have an opportunity just to invite somebody to church. Hey, boss, why don't you, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? We can, we can come and we, we can sit down. We can hang out. We can have a good time. Listen to Pastor Nelson, who's absolutely incredible. And then we can go out to eat later. Simple as that, right? Because what, what do you know is going to happen here? They're going to experience the presence of God. God's spirit's in this place. I'm going to let you know that just from worship. I know that. God is here, okay? He's going to hear the word of God that's active, that's alive, that's sharper than any double-edged sword. And he's hearing it from a man, I promise you, that knows his word. He's going to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is lethal to our sin and our soulish nature, right? 
They're going to hear that all just from an invite. I want you to hear this. And if you're taking notes, write this down. An invite can change a life. Simple as that. Just an invite. Just saying, hey, why don't you come with me? What are you doing? You're calling them out of their Samaria and into, into Judea, into Galilee, into Jerusalem, right? Into your church, into your family, into this place with these people. The second Samaria is this, the Samaria of your soul. Verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, <clears throat> Jews do not associate themselves with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it was to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So they begin their dialogue back and forth here. And what I want to let you know more than anything else is there's a Samaria inside of you. It's your soul. Now, I, I grew up hearing that Jesus needed to save my soul, and I saw the signs on the side of the road, and I never knew what my soul was. And if you, if you don't really know, absolutely okay. Oh, snap, you are amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you don't know what your soul is, here's your soul, very, very plain and simple. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions, okay? It's what makes you, you. It's your DNA. It's your makeup, right? Why? Because Jesus created us, right? So he formed us from the dust of the earth, right? Literally, literally coming all the way generation after generation into who we are now, our DNA. And Jesus even goes on to say that we are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that you are God's masterpiece created in advance to do great works for God, right? Now, how many of you in here have ever heard of Leonardo da Vinci? Raise your hand if you can, all right? Most people heard of Leonardo da Vinci. How many of you in here have ever heard of the Mona Lisa? who was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, okay? It's the most famous painting of all time. I can't really understand it because I can't tell if she's smiling and if you move away from it, she's still looking at you. It's kind of weird. It's kind of awkward, right? But the Mona Lisa, the most famous painting of all time, I don't think that when Leonardo da Vinci stepped back after he got done painting the Mona Lisa, I don't think he stepped back and looked at it and said, eh, it's okay. Just put it out there with the rest of the paintings. No, it was his masterpiece, it was his best work. It was his best art. It was his best creation. I read in a book not too long ago, it said to count every star that is in the sky would be like trying to count every grain of sand on every beach and every desert. I'm not very good at math, but I can't count that high. And I'm betting you can't either, okay? Which is actually really even prophecy from God. But to count every star that's in the sky would be like trying to count every grain of sand on every beach and every desert, our scripture lets us know that God just breathed that into existence. That's just a byproduct of his glory. But he takes nine months to make you. And Jeremiah chapter one says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are God's masterpiece. He steps back from you and says, that's the best I got. That's my best work. That's my best creation. Yeah, the stars, they're okay. Put them out there with the rest of them. But I made you unique. I made you for a purpose. I made you for a plan. I want to let you know, Jesus didn't put Moses in this generation. Jesus didn't put Noah in your workplace. Jesus didn't put Paul the apostle in your family. He put you. Now, I am not discounting great men and women of God, okay? But I do want to let you know that you are here for a purpose. You are here for a plan. You are here for a reason, right? Ephesians 2 verse 10, it goes on to say that you were created in advance, meaning 
That before you, before you even thought of yourself, before your parents even thought about you or your great-grandparents even thought about you, that Jesus was already thinking about you in this generation for this purpose. Why? Because we're called. We're not supposed to just sit inside a church and just do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Right? We're supposed to be moving. We're supposed to be motivated men and women of God, willing to go into Samaria, into Judea, into the ends of the earth, and let everybody that we know know about Jesus. We're supposed to just invite people because an invite can change a life, right? We are called to be, what does Jesus say? Living water. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you about water for just a second. Water is the main element of life, okay? So we, we are made up of, of three-fourths water. Uh, the whole earth is made up of three-fourths water. It's literally the element of life. If we go, we can go weeks on weeks without eating. We can only go about three days without water. Water is most vital and most important to us. But there is water that we can drink. Thank you for bringing that. That was Jesus knowing, knowing what was about to happen. There's water that we can drink. There's fresh water, and there's stagnant water. All right. So if 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 I am if I am going to get a drink, I'm not going to go to a place that is stagnant water. Why? Because what happens when when water gets stagnant when it sits for too long? Right? It becomes toxic. So Jesus is literally he's given us life. Right? He's saying, hey, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. She keeps coming to this well to this place where water just sits. And he's saying, no, I want to give you water that's alive, right? He's talking about himself. Jesus referring to himself, saying that he is living water, means that you got to move. Stagnant water sits. This is what happens. Maybe we're filled with life. Maybe we're filled with the water of God, with that living water, but we decide to make it stop moving. We dam it up, or we build a, we build a little pond with it, and we just sit. We sit maybe in our holy huddle, Maybe we just do Sunday after Sunday. That's the trick of religion. It just wants you to sit. Jesus calls us to move. Living water must be active. Living water must be flowing. If you want to do ministry, you got to flow. You got to let this word activate and become alive inside of you. And you got to let it be the overflow. I love my pastor. He says it all the time. He says, hey, ministry is just the overflow of what God is doing inside your life. So it comes through spending time with Jesus. And then spending time with his people that he so loves, get this, his masterpieces that are out there. They just don't know it yet. But you are called to be the light of the world, living water. That means that you got to move. That means that you got to flow. But you can't let little things, when I say little, they're little things to God, big things to us. You can't let things like sin, you can't let things like chains like Pastor talked about, You can't let things like your past hold you back from what God is calling you to do. A lot of us, man, we never move forward with our future because we're too focused on our past. Have you ever ever noticed that your rearview mirror is about 120th the size of your windshield? Why? Because if you stay focused on where you've been for too long, you'll crash in your future, right? You can't just keep looking behind you forever. You can't keep retreating to that old sin forever. You can't keep retreating to that old way forever because you'll become stagnant. And what happens when you become stagnant? You become toxic. When you become toxic, you become septic, the Samaria of your soul. You have a septic soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions are landlocked, and you never move. God is calling all of us to move, not sit, not just stand. He's saying, hey, There's a woman out there in Samaria. There's a man out there in your workplace. 
There's a, there's a boy out there in your school that I'm calling you to, and you are living water. You've got the spirit of God living inside of you. Now it's time to move. It's time to go because they're out there. Your mind, your will, and your emotions were meant to be used by God. The great thing about being a masterpiece is that you get to be used, right? You get to be put out there. You're on display. And God's wanting to use you to literally change the world around you and to make heaven a bigger place. And here's my last point is this. is the Samaria of your spirit. The Samaria of your spirit. You know, there's, there's a place that you can go to. There's literally a, there's, there's a Samaria. I'm sorry, I got, I got to walk around, by the way. I'm sorry. I can't really, I got, I got to move, just like what I was talking about. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a Samaria, a, a literally a physical location, a Samaria of your city where there are people that are sitting there. And, and Pastor, you guys can go ahead and come on back up as we close. There's a Samaria, a, a physical location. There's a Samaria inside of you, your soul. But then there's a Samaria that can only come from God. It's got to be God's vision, God's eyes. That's the Samaria of your spirit, okay? Only a place that God can take you. In fact, really, if you think about it, our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions is built for survival. And if you want to just survive, you should just live in your soul, okay? And you can let, you can let God fix some of your soul. In fact, you can discipline yourself, and make your soul a little bit better. Some of you, maybe you had some crazy emotions earlier on in your life, and through literal discipline, you've, you've, you've made yourself a better person, and discipline can make you a better person. But Jesus and his spirit can take you to a place where discipline can't just take you, where your physical self can't take you. It's the Samaria of your spirit. It's the place where most people never go, but God is calling you. Because your soul was meant for you to survive, your spirit was meant for you to thrive. It's why most of you in here can't tell me how many chairs are inside this room, but subconsciously you know where every exit's at. Because we're, our souls were meant to survive. Subconsciously, I can say, hey, if something, if something happens, I know exactly where to run, right? But subconsciously, I'm not thinking, oh, how many seats are open where I can get people here and literally live in my purpose and literally thrive? You weren't meant to just survive this world. I tell my young people all the time, hey, the world's going to tell you this. Just grow up. Just go to college. Just get a job. Just get married. Just retire. And then just die. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. You just sit. You're just stagnant water. God's saying, hey, there's a Samaria. There's people. There's a place for your purpose, that God is calling you. It's the place that most people avoid, but God is calling you. God is calling this church. God is calling your family. God is calling your children. I remember um, a few years ago, it was actually right at two years ago, I was uh, meeting with a, a mentor of mine. He's a pastor here in Birmingham. and um, Really, really good friend of mine. He's, he's someone who's just always poured into me and, and helped me and helped me. And uh, I remember I came to him one day and I, I was kind of low on life. I was just, I, I was kind of burnt out and uh, really honestly kind of ready to quit, kind of ready to just give up this whole ministry thing and, you know, uh, just, just kind of just do life, you know. 
And uh, I told him all about it. And honestly, in that meeting, he gave me like some, some, some tips and some things to do. And I can't tell you one thing that we said in, in that meeting. I can tell you one thing, though, that whenever we left the shop that we were in, when we left, we, we gave each other a hug or a handshake. And we started to part ways. And he turned around. And he said, hey, Travis, hey, one thing, don't ever give up. If you don't give up, you win. And I want to let you know, don't ever give up. If we don't give up, we win. If the church doesn't give up, we win. Every wrong thing that you see on TV, we have the answer for it. We have the word of God that's active and alive. Every, every wrong thing that we see in this world, we have the answer for it. We have Jesus. We have the answer for sin. It's our Savior. It's Jesus. But we have to be willing to go to a place. We have to be willing to go to people. And we got to be willing to walk inside of our purpose. The Samaria of your spirit is the place where few people are willing to go. But God is calling you. And I love Jesus because we're going to end on a song called Oceans. It literally talks about being called out beyond the waters. Where your feet may fail. Where tides may rise. Where you got to put your whole trust in God. Maybe that looks like your time, your talent, or your treasure. That might look like more time spent with God. That might look like more time spent serving your church. That might look like more time. It might look like more of your talent. Some of you, there's a book inside of you you haven't written yet. There's a dream inside of you that you've let lie dormant. You've, you've let it sit in some stagnant water. You've let it just become toxic. There's a, there's a, there's a speaker and a preacher inside of some of you. There's a, there's a writer, there's a great, there's a great mom or dad who's going to raise up the next Billy Graham inside of you. There's something inside of you. There's a dream inside your heart. Why? Because you're God's masterpiece created in the image of God. Our God is a creator and he's called for us to create greater things in this world, right? If we're made in his image, let's go do it. Let's not sit. Let's not be stagnant. Let's not be a church that just says, hey, man, we're, we're, we're going to have our holy huddle, and that's it. Us four, no more, right? No. Let's, oh, man. Let's see people for how Jesus sees people. Let's not avoid people because of their location or the color of their skin or, or because they go to a different denomination or maybe even worship a different God. Let's love people where they're at and say, hey, I'm willing to come to you, but you got to come and hang out with me right? Come to my church. Come to my place. Come to my small group. And we'll change our world. But it takes all of us. It takes all of us getting into the spirit of God. Because I think whenever we get into God's spirit, we can't see the same. We don't see people the same. I don't see that girl at work that gets on my nerves the same anymore, right? I don't see, I don't see that man that never talks to anybody anymore. I see, I see a soul, I see someone I got to go to. Jesus said he had to go through Samaria, and there was one more place that he had to go. It was to the cross. Because if he didn't go to the cross, we wouldn't have the same connection with God that we now have through his son, Jesus. See, it was through the cross where he was beaten, bloodied, stabbed, betrayed, abandoned by his friends and some of his family, a crown of thorns twisted onto a skull on that cross. He took on your sin, your mistakes, your mess-ups, your pain, your shame, your guilt, anything that you and I would ever do wrong, past, present, and future, if we only just believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and the Bible says we will be saved. 
he had to go there for us to experience all of him. So you know what? We got to go there for us to experience all of him. That's where we've got to go. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.